0: Hi, Housing News listeners. This is Alcino Lloyd, and I'm the producer of this weekly podcast, which is a proud member of the industry syndicate. Today, you'll be listening to episode five of season four of the Housing News Podcast. In today's episode, Nima Wetlake joins the Housing News Podcast to discuss the housing market's real estate ecosystem, as well as Open Doors S4 filing, which now values the company at $4.8 billion. During the interview, Wetlake touches on his recent blog that examines Open Doors' business practices, its progress to date, and its future prospects. He also discusses why so many companies in the housing space are now choosing to go public. But before we listen, here's a brief word from our sponsor. Now more than
1: ever, homeowners and borrowers of the future need to understand impacts and options during times of financial hardship. Freddie Mac has made home possible for 50 years and is committed to providing assistance and clarity to the housing market. Through all for home SM efforts, Freddie Mac Single Family is leading the future of housing through insights, education, mortgage, and business solutions.
0: Learn more about resources to help you and the clients you serve at sf.freddiemac.com slash Lending. Thank you for listening, and here's the fifth episode of Season 4 of the Housing News Podcast. Good afternoon,
1: everyone. This is Sarah Wheeler, Editor-in-Chief at HousingWire, with the next installment of our fourth season of the Housing News Podcast. I'm really excited to talk to Nima Wedlake, a principal at TomFest Ventures, about the rash of IPOs we're seeing in the mortgage space. Nima, welcome to the Housing News Podcast. Thanks for having me. So, uh, over the last month, you know, we've seen a rash of mortgage companies going public. You know, Rocket Companies kicked it off, followed by UWM, Caliber Home Loans, Finance of America, United Wholesale Mortgage, AmeriHome Loans, and Guild. And, and that's not even all of them. So, those are all lenders, but we also had Open Door, an iBuyer, announce on September 15th that it was going public. You wrote a great Blog piece on that diving into their s four and we really wanted to get your perspective on the overall trend of going public and on open door in particular, but first, we'd like to get to know our, a bit about our guests so let 's start with how you got into what you do now. Can you tell us a little bit about your background?
2: Yeah, absolutely um, so Tom Vest is a san francisco based venture capital fund. we invest in companies across all stages, but our, our sweet spot is really series A through series C. And we spend a lot of time in in the fintech, insurtech, and and of course, the real estate tech verticals uh, from an investing standpoint. Prior to TomVest, I spent several years in management consulting. And then, you know, also related to to our investing efforts in real estate, you know, personally have, uh, grew up in a family of mom and pop, you know, literally mom and pop real estate investors and spent time understanding the trials and tribulations of, of the category, some of the inefficiencies associated with it. And, and it's, it's really cool to come full circle and, and spend time with entrepreneurs looking to use software technology to, to improve the process of, of, uh, of buying, renting, managing, uh, Homes across the U.S.
1: Uh, thanks for sharing that. Interesting, always to see how people got into our space and 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 what really motivates them. When when you guys were looking, so you your uh, blog can be found on tomvest.com. Great uh, on Open Door. What led you to want to dive into Open Door specifically?
2: Yeah, good question. It's you know it's it's a fascinating company. There's you know, there's been so much in uh, venture capital flowing into real estate technology in the last several years. And you know, Open doors is, is one of the largest, if not the largest, venture-backed company in in the category. And it's it's really an, an ambitious business model, um, where it's it's a mix of technology, of course, to scale home buying efforts without scaling the, the number of of folks required to to enable those transactions. So there is this fundamental technology platform there. But there's also, you know, it's it's also an atypical venture investment in a lot of ways, right? It's there there's a a big balance sheet that's required in order to enable transactions, you know, that there is there are teams distributed across the US in order to facilitate the transactions. Um, and it's required a you know a hefty amount of of capital um into the the core business in order to to get to really impressive scale. So it's always been it's always been a a, a fascinating company for, for me. Uh, and I think their the fact that they they announce their intentions to go public, it's it's a very I would describe it as a hallmark moment for for the entire real estate tech industry.
1: I like that, the hallmark moment. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. You know, as you mentioned, they're the, they're the nation's largest eye buyer and they're concentrated like most of the others in, in bedroom communities in the Southwest and the West. Tell us a little bit about their business model. How is it that they're going to make money?
2: Yep. Uh, so it's, you know, on its surface, it's, it's a fairly, fairly simple model, right? They, uh, offer, a uh, A very quick way to to sell your home. You can go to the Open Door website, type in your address, fill out some questions around the property characteristics, and within a day receive an all cash offer for your home. And if you choose to accept that, you can close on the, the date of your choice, and the Open Door team will facilitate that entire process on your behalf. Very simple. I think simplicity is, is one of the goals of the the open door team, right? But behind the scenes, there's a lot going on, right? There's a fairly sophisticated data science team that's responsible for determining at which price they're willing to purchase your home for. There's a centralized ops team that's coordinating a vast network of subcontractors, Repair teams, leasing—excuse me—agent um, teams that are that are responsible for post transaction making the property ready for sale, and then and then selling the property in the in the open market at some premium to what they purchased it for. So lots going on in order to generate revenue for the business, but at, at its surface, it's the idea is that hey, let's take this home selling process that has historically been expensive stress inducing time consuming and and build a you know a internet version of it that is that is uh, elegant and simple
1: Boy, that is the uh, nut that everyone's trying to crack for sure. We're we're used to tech companies going public, even though they're not profitable and, or, you know, and and might not be profitable for years. And and that's the case here. You know, why are investors interested in open door? What, what promise do they see there that makes them say, Hey, they're not profitable yet, but here's, here's why we're interested.
2: Yeah, that's a fantastic question. And you know i i would point to the growth story of the business at least pre 2020 It's a company that was growing you know north of 150% year over year which is which is rare in 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 an asset class like real estate right they they were able to to show you know quote unquote silicon valley style growth in in a market that you know where sub 10% growth is fairly common if you're looking at at, at the public reits right and so I think that's 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 the one that's the first um, interesting component of the business. To your point, there's a there there is a long journey ahead before they they reach profitability, but I, they make an argument in the investor presentation in S four that they distributed that there is this clear path achieving that profitability. And, and we'll get into this more, I'm sure. But part of that is uh, attaching ancillary services like title, escrow, like home insurance, like mortgage to the transaction that they're helping facilitate in order to increase revenue per transaction. Uh, and then also spending more time serving the buyer side of, of the equation as well, where there's, uh, there's revenue to be had and, and then where they might not need to take Ownership of a property in order to facilitate a a transaction, which is just a more cost-effective business model. Ultimately,
1: I mean that's a lot going on. You can you can understand why uh, there's so much interest there. Let's pull back a little bit and talk about the way that they went public, which is this SPAC. Which to me, it seems like wow, this year has just seen so many of those. But is that true, or is that just because in in my space I'm not used to seeing so much of that happen? Tell us a little bit about that model of going public.
2: Yeah, so SPACs are, are, are an interesting phenomenon in, in twenty twenty. You know, I think at the, in the beginning of the pandemic, I personally would not have predicted we, we'd be in the, we'd be in this sort of IPO reverse mortgage frenzy that that we're in now. But if you look at the volume of SPACs through twenty twenty, even through the first half of twenty twenty, it surpassed. The the total amount raised for uh, for SPACs in in 2019, and I'm sure by the end of 2020 it will be you know north of two x three x the the total capital raised, and you know very very good question around why why is that the case, and it's something that we're spending time uh, within Tom Vest trying to understand as well. Part of it I would say is a, a byproduct of the the macroeconomic environment that we're in. There's a ton of capital in the system, and so you know, if you think about the traditional IPO process, it was um, companies looking for liquidity. The, the SPAC model kind of flips that on its head, right? It's liquidity, which are, you know, the set of dozens of SPAC sponsors with, who have raised capital looking for companies, looking for interesting high growth assets with a path to profitability that, um, that they can help facilitate in the Taking public process so you know I think it's just a byproduct of, of just how much capital is in the system today the fact that you know in, in a lot of ways the stock market has been you know from the from the venture perspective the IPO window has been closed for several years you only see really large tech unicorns going public and so I think a lot of folks view this as a as a path to um, getting some of the uh, you know the long not the long tail but the 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 mid tail of of venture backed technology companies um, to to the public market so that investors can can get access to it to Those businesses.
1: So the fact that you know Open Door is going with social capital as as the uh, kind of blank check company that they're that they're merging with, is there anything particular that you see that that's why social capital is you know does this fit into their particular model more? Why are they interested in Open Door?
2: Yeah, you know I, I think Chamath is uh, who who leads Social Capital is thinks from a from a macro perspective, and uh, you know as part of the the investor presentation that that social capital shared when when this announcement was made uh, chamath and his team shared a, a set of macro tailwinds that they believe will uh, benefit the open door business uh, over over the long term you know a being the increased movement of of folks from excuse me from urban high cost markets like the bay area to uh, you know more affordable markets like Phoenix, where where Open Door has a has a really strong presence. Um, you know the access to to low cost of capital, uh, which which Open Door is benefiting from, is you know, kind of the the low interest rate environment that that we're in now is is something that that the social capital team talks about as well. So you know I think while the company is doesn't maybe exhibit the classic profitability characteristics uh, that, that, you know, at least historically we've, we've seen in, in the public markets, what makes it an interesting asset from Chamath's perspective, in my estimation, is that there's this big macro story, uh, where five, 10, 15 years from now, you can, you know, in, in his view, you can draw a line to, to open door being a massive company on the scale of, of Amazon, uh, you know, which is, which is a company that was referenced in that investor presentation.
1: Oh, really interesting. You know, you, so in your blog, you talk about those, you know, five reasons to believe, why, why it is that they might be interested in, and what the case is for it. One of them has to do with exactly what you just said, which is scale. Can you expand on that a little bit? I mean, we're in a low mortgage rate environment, which is, you know, has kickstarted this huge origination boom this year. But, you know, what about two years from now? So can you talk a little bit about scale and why they think it's going to be so big?
2: yeah absolutely and so you know part part of what I tried to to spend time on in the post is the, the concept of of economies of scale in in a business like open doors and you know we've we've seen this play out across not just not just venture backed tech companies but but across the set of uh, other public real estate companies like invitation homes in the single family rental space you know they've demonstrated that you can scale up a massive home buying operation without uh, hiring a massive team to do so. So, you know, in the, in the invitation homes case, they have you know, more than 80,000 homes in their portfolio, all single family homes um, that, uh, you know, they operate at a scale that wasn't really possible a decade ago, uh, pre, you know, pre some of the, the, the benefits we've seen around mobile phones and the connectivity associated with it. And I think the same dynamics play out in Open Door's case as well. A, they've been able to scale their, uh, their home buying apparatus to, you know, nearly 20,000 homes in 2019 uh, without having a massive team to, to do that be They've used their scale to negotiate discounts with um, suppliers like for hardwood flooring, tile, paint, et cetera. The, the, they have much better pricing than, than you or I do as as uh, shoppers at Home Depot, right? And then a third, they have uh, they have a large network of subcontractors who they've negotiated rates with because they have uh, scale and they can guarantee a steady stream of business to you know, plumbers in phoenix or um, or other other subs in in that uh, in that network that they've built so what ends up happening is with that scale you can uh, you can operate at, at a level of efficiency that effectively blocks out other folks in the market be be they other venture backed iBuyers buyers or other real estate investors you know they they can get to a point where you know they simply are more efficient at the repair process at the pricing process their their, their cost of capital is much much lower compared to a real estate investor that often has to rely on hard money to uh, to finance a, a short term purchase so th- those are the benefits i tried to allude to and i think part of the the big story is that if you want a business like this to to succeed at scale and re- reach profitability, those economies of scale need to continue uh, bearing fruit over the next several years.
1: I think the interesting thing to me about that is that when I think about tech investment or a, a fintech company, I don't think of such hands-on things. You know, I don't think of like plumbers and and people laying tile or or putting in a hardwood floor. I mean, it, and it feels like those things are so much less. Uh, definable than m- many of the fintech things that we talk about, right? So interesting that the blank check company that social capital was interested in and, and saw the, saw that and wanted it and and saw the possibility of that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, th- I think in in the venture world and the software world, we're we're so used to zero marginal cost or near zero marginal cost, right? It's you know using AWS or Google Cloud, we can create infinitely scalable products and services, uh, built in software. And so we don't really think about, you know, gross margin or, or economies of scale in the same way. Uh, but that's, I think, I I think in, in a sense, that's what makes part of the open doors open door story. Interesting is that, you know, can you get to a place where you, you can actually generate interesting gross margins because you've, you've reached such a massive scale and, and lowered your per unit costs um, accordingly. It's definitely more challenging than, than a lot of uh, traditional software businesses, but um, I think there's uh they, they see the the pot of gold at the, at the end of the rainbow as well there.
1: Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. It's like, this isn't uh, particularly an engineering problem. It's <laughs> a lot of other things going on here that they need to solve. So um, One of the things that you talk about in the article and that you alluded to a little bit ago was the ancillary services is key to their future profitability. And and we see in the mortgage space that this is really, this is where everyone is constantly looking for disruption. Like, who is it that's coming in today? Not, not like, oh, we're starting a lending business, but what part of this ecosystem are they picking off that they are then going to be able to dominate the lending business or the servicing business that we can't even conceive of today? I think that that's the... That's what everyone is looking for. So especially here, there's so many things, especially if he's is Chamath sees it as, you know, being so big and all those, all those things coming back to them, you know, five years from now, 10 years from now, that that's key. So what do you see as being the most important of those ancillary services?
2: Yeah. uh, Good, good question. You know, if you, if you think about to, to, to your point, you know, every, every, Real estate technology company we've spent time with at Tomvest that's that's at the point of of the transaction paints this ancillary revenue stream picture uh, in terms of how they get to scale and how they become uh, profitable uh, with 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 said scale. You know, and and we've seen this play out pretty effectively at at companies like Rocket Mortgage. If you if you look through the S one there, you know they have the mortgage servicing business uh, that that uh, they've built into their, their mortgage origination business that uh, they have title and escrow, they have uh real estate agent referral network, they have auto and personal loans now as well, in addition to to home loans. And um, they've, they've demonstrated that that at scale, they can, uh, you know, they, that can contribute actually pretty meaningful revenue to the, to the business. And, and the open door story is, is no different. Uh, already today, title and escrow, uh, is, is a big component of their you know ancillary revenue i i believe in their mature markets it's it's north of eighty percent attach rate right there they they speak a lot about home loans and I think this is probably where they they see the the biggest opportunity to generate incremental revenue um, and and uh on a on a per unit basis I would say that's probably the the biggest short term opportunity for them uh you know in addition to home loans they talk about moving services um, some repair and maintenance services. But, you know, I think home loans are interesting in the fact that they, um, they have the ability to, you know, effectively bundle the home sale because they, they own the homes, uh, with a, with some sort of financing component. And so in the, uh, real estate brokerage world, attach rates for mortgage are typically in the you know, single digits or or low teens, whereas in the home building world, so think the Lennars of the world, the attach rates for for their uh, uh, in house lender is upwards of seventy five percent, and so you know I think with Open Door you'll see uh, attach rates for mortgage somewhere between the two, but because they are you know they They share characteristics with the home builder and the fact that they own all the inventory they're selling they're not they're not simply facilitating a transaction between two two parties. they can do more to dictate or to price uh competitively the mortgage should uh, when it's bundled with uh with a home that's that's in their inventory so there's lots of interesting things they can do there um, and and so i'm I'm excited to see uh how how that business evolves today. It's, it's still very small and they, they didn't even break it out in in the S4 around how much revenue that contributes to, to the total business. Yeah. It'll
1: be interesting to see. And, and also uh, just really that, that's the, that's the key to me is how they're going to be able to do that and uh, when they're going to be able to do that. But, but interesting for, for our audience, that part is, is super interesting. The other part is, the whole idea of iBuying, you know, right now they're playing nice with agents and um, when we've suggested, oh, iBuying is a is a threat to agents, um, to real estate agents, you know, not just Open Door, but the other ones too will be like, no, 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 we, we you know we can play nice and we can be part of their repertoire and they can, um, you know, they can use us to get the best different offers for their clients and that's certainly true today. But one of the things that you bring up in your uh, in your piece is the margin expansion by disintermediating agents and mm-hmm. and clearly you know it, if you're looking at this and uh, this is the the piece that agents are the most you know worried about from your perspective, is this something that um, is coming sooner rather than later, or how does that fit into this whole picture
2: yeah that's it's a fantastic question you know i I, I think open door has always had a bit of a Frenemy, co-opetition sort of relationship with with agents in, in their in their respective markets. They realize that agents are an important source of facilitating transactions in, in many cases, but they also see the agent commissions as a, as a really lucrative source of margin uh, for OpenDoor. And I you know I think their vision is to facilitate the both sides of the transaction ultimately, and they can use that traditional agent commission and pass it back to to either buyers or sellers in order to incense them to to operate or to transact simply with Open Door and, and without a an agent um, on on either side. So I, I you know I do think that they'll that they'll start competing more directly. You know open door is in, in I believe they're in the process of hiring um, in-house agents in some of their more mature markets that are that are salaried, so it'll look more like the Redfin model than the compass model. Um, you know but ultimately, I think you'll see all of these companies converge into something that looks more or less the same where you know we're seeing this with Zillow and Redfin already. they have an eye buying component. Open Door is is hiring agents in house, so they're all they're all going to be these hybrid brokerage iBuyer, um, you know, transaction engines for for the housing market, uh, with with kind of a menu of, of of offerings depending on your your specific situation as a as a buyer or seller of a home.
1: Yeah, you mentioned that, um, you know, hiring of agents in-house and, and that to me, <laughs> that was definitely uh, one of the things that, that perked our ears up. We wrote about that as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, and one of the things about this year, obviously, it's been just a very unusual year, um, unusual for um, this kind of investment. And, in, you know, I mean, who like you said, who would have thought at the beginning of COVID that this would even happen? And one of the tailwinds for Open Door is the fact that they did pause their eye buying this year for a couple months or maybe just one month but <clears throat> you know have been slow to resume in some other markets so you know what does that look like why why now for um you know for social capital to say yeah this is a great time to do this even though there you know this has been a very unusual time and and some of those things you know remain uh, a problem we don't know what the next even year looks like
2: yeah yeah you know it's it's, it's interesting I've you know we spent the last several minutes talking about some of the the he- tailwinds associated with with the business, uh, but at the same time, we're, we're in the midst of COVID. And if you look at their their financial forecast for 2020, they expect a 47 percent year over year decline from 2019 uh, from in terms of revenue. And so, COVID definitely had an impact on the business. I think they've done a they did a nice job in the investor presentation spinning it as a as a net positive. But you know, it, it does speak to the fact that. During any period of disruption, you know, the pandemic is obviously a very unique period of disruption, but, you know, maybe even a more vanilla recessionary environment. What's what sort of impact will that have on on the open door business? Because they're they're holders of 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 home inventory at such a massive scale. And, you know, I think you brought up this point earlier, what happens when interest rates rise? You know, their cost of capital goes up. That could also uh, dampen demand from from home buyers. Uh, what happens in a in a scenario when when they expect home prices to to depreciate? Do do they stop buying um, in the in the similar way they they did during this this COVID period we're in? And so I think similar to to the set of mortgage companies that are going public, while things are really good right now just given the low interest rate environment we're in and the supply constrained nature of, of the house, housing market. Generally, you know, they're like more uh, rocket mortgage for instance. It isn't trading at a, at a incredible premium to, to, um, to, it isn't trading at the same level as, as Zillow's or, or Redfin's of the world because I think Wall Street investors recognize that that uh, there isn't this consistent up and to the right story. That uh, their success is highly dependent on mortgage rates, and and um, mortgage rates will go up eventually, although um, you know TBD when that happens.
1: That's a great point. And really leads into my um, last question, which is really about the valuation and how how they come up with that. You know, they announced at a four point eight billion. But the shares have increased since then, so uh, and you right, which imply an enterprise value of about twelve billion. So, you know, how are they? How did they come to that? What are some of the factors that they're looking at when um, when it's hard to compare them really to anybody else?
2: Yeah, yeah, it's it's the you know the the twelve billion dollar question. We spent a little bit of time looking at at comps, public comps. And you know you could probably argue that, that Zillow and Redfin are, are the most relevant comps because they have this uh, this I component to them, um, and you know at the uh, at today's or or the at the enterprise value uh, that was implied based on the the SPAC share price of uh, which was twelve billion dollars, it's it's definitely trading at a healthy premium to both Zillow and Redfin um, at the IPO price. Uh, which was uh, an enterprise value of 4.8 billion. It was trading kind of in line with the uh, uh, with with those companies, and so you know I think it's uh, th- there are interesting dynamics around SPACs. I think uh, a lot of it is about the quality of the sponsor and you know their ability to to um, tell a convincing story around the long term growth prospects for for whichever business they're, they're sponsoring. Um, and you know, for now the, you know, o- open door is a Dart. it's like a, it's a new public company, right? They haven't had to report quarterly filings because they, they just went public. And so I think there's a lot of enthusiasm around, around the, pro, uh, the business. And that's, I think that's why you've seen, you know, more than a two X increase in, in the price per share of, uh, of the social capital SPAC since, since the announcement was made.
1: Uh, you know, there's so much more we could go into. We're, we're about out of time for today, but Nima, I wanna say thank you so much for uh, sharing your insights with us and we would love to have you back um, as this story develops, um, not just with this, but if we see other specs come through and, and kind of what we're seeing next year as, as things change. Um, really uh, appreciate that and, and have really appreciated the discussion.
2: Yeah. Likewise. Thanks so much for for taking the time to chat today, and and would love to to talk more. I'm sure we'll see uh, plenty of uh, of additional real estate related SPACs in the in the near future. So um, happy to chat more about those when the time comes.
1: Nima, thank you so much for sitting down with us at Housing News and sharing this insight on a trend that we're sure to see more of. Uh, and thanks to our listeners. Have a great day.
0: Thank you for listening to the Housing News Podcast. Please don't forget to give us feedback and write us on iTunes. Also, make sure to check out HousingWire's latest podcast, The Daily Download, which is a daily wrap of HousingWire's hottest stories, now available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. See you next week.